We honor you and glorify you for your holiness in who you are. Lord, allow our hearts to recognize you in this moment, in in this time. We pray, Father, that you would be the center of our thoughts, the center of our attention, that our hearts would bend toward you, that our, our souls would have the strength that we need to follow you and honor you. We love you. Amen. You can be seated. One additional thing we want you to know about the things going on here uh, in the next weeks is on the 23rd, we will be having a new members class. Now, in the past, we've done new members classes by Lynn walking around and finding different people who might want to become members and that just isn't a sustainable model. So we're going to, instead of Lynn contacting people, we are going to give you all an opportunity to just know what's happening. And we are in the process of having that class on the 23rd. I believe it starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's a Saturday. It'll be a few hours long. And so you will have an opportunity to be here for that if you would like to become a member. Why would you want to be a member, you might ask? That's a really good question. It doesn't make us trust you more or like you more. It doesn't make us more impressed with you, and it doesn't make God more happy with you. But what it does do is it intentionally and specifically allows us as individuals to place ourselves under the authority of the local church, to say publicly, we intend to support and submit to this particular body of people that God has in this particular place, which is why I'm not a member at churches that I used to be at. I'm a member of this church because this is the local authority under which I'm intentionally and specifically placing myself. So that is on the 23rd. If you would like to be part of that, you can find on the big posters that we have around Lynn's contact information. You can get in touch with him. You can call the office. They can get you in touch with him. And we will we'll have all of that set up. Now, new sermon series. We are done with the Psalms. That's not true. We're never done with the Psalms. We're never done with a certain aspect of God's word. In fact, if you follow the QR code in your bulletin, you're going to find each week one of the Psalms that we just went through over the last 13 weeks you're going to find one of them as reference to the attribute of God that we're looking at. I started rereading some of those psalms the other night, and I realized, man, there's a lot of the attributes of God that we're talking about listed in these psalms that we just preached on. So I started compiling a list. And and I tried to stick initially with just ones that were directly referenced, like this morning's. It talks about God being holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. But there's other ones that are, that are taught, but not directly stated in, in that, that exact verbiage, but it's taught. And so we start pulling those out, and we find all of the attributes of God are found in the Psalms that we've already looked at. So we're not ignoring the Psalms. We're not done with the Psalms. But we are going to spend time talking about who is God? Who is he? Why? We ask the question, who is God? But why do we need to answer that? Don't we need to just love God? Isn't that what we're told? Just love God and he's happy with you? Yes, 
and no. We are to love God, and then he is pleased with us through our faith as we love him. But if we don't know who he is, and we love him anyway, or we love something, then I don't know what you're loving, but it's not God. Because we will accidentally make God in our image and cause God to look like us without even realizing that that's the direction that we're going. And so we need to step back, objectively look at who is God, and then worship him accordingly. So really, while we're studying the attributes of God, this is more of a sermon series on worshiping God than on technical knowledge about who he is. Because the more we know him, the more we understand him, the more we can worship him holistically and correctly. So this morning, God is holy. What if you were to be asked to define that word? Now, Julie already clued you in some to the answer, so it's almost not fair. But what if you were asked to actually write down a definition to the word holy? What would we say? By the end of the sermon, you should have an idea. You should have a good idea because I'm going to specifically state the definition of what holy is. But you should be able to follow that and know it and then in, internalize it. So, we're going to jump into our main passage for the morning and we're going to see this word. Then we're going to break the word down. We're going to see our response to the word. And then we're going to see what it means for how we interact. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at verses, really looking at verses 1 through 5, but you could go further than that. But it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, which is odd. I've never seen anything like that. I wouldn't even understand what that would mean. But the only thing that we have trains on, other than tracks, we have trains on wedding dresses which still makes no sense to me. It's just a way for people to trip is what it seems like. But the more ornate this dress is, the more ornate this, this clothing is, the more of the space that it fills, it shows a value of that person by virtue of how much space they're taking up. So the bride's dress takes up whatever space it is. <laughs> Note that the groom's tux is very little. It's a, different, it's a different thing, I guess. But her dress takes up a larger space. But this train of this robe fills the entire room. So what is it showing about the value of the one that this is addressed to? His value is greater than everything else in the room put together. Why? Because he's taking up the whole space. And the train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, six on each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, is Yahweh Sabaoth. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook 
at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Sabaoth, the king of hosts, or the Lord of hosts. So, so to understand holy, we need to understand the value of this one that's called holy. And what is his value? Again, back to the train. The train is filling the entirety of the space. He is of utmost preeminent influence, importance. Beyond that, when he speaks, I could yell really loud and your ears might vibrate, but the building stayed still. Uh, maybe if you played music really, really loud, you could feel it in the floor, but the foundations wouldn't be moving. But here, God speaks, and the foundations under the temple shake like an earthquake. Just imagine that sort of power, that sort of, of control, that, that a building is shaking because you're simply speaking. And this is the one to whom the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So what does that mean? Why is it repeated three times? It's repeated three times on purpose. So there's two things inspired in the scripture. One is the words, and the second is the form. The order or the way that the book is put together, not inspired. The chapters and verses, not inspired. But the type of writing was inspired. The repetition of the words was inspired. So why repeat this holy, holy, holy three times? We still haven't answered what holy is. So let's step back. Let's answer the triple question and then answer the definition question. The triple is because of value and importance. If I look at my children and I say, stop, 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 by the time I hit that third one, there's all sorts of things boiling around inside of me. But they should know that I mean it. I'm not joking. I'm not playing. I'm not asking. I'm telling. Right? We do that in English. Here, they're repeating this for the same thing, only it's not out of frustration or disobedience. It's out of exaltation and worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord repeating it so that everybody understands the high value that's being put on this above everything else. So what does it mean? The word holy has two facets to its definition. One is to say that something is set apart, and the other is to say that something is wholly different. Other. It's either set apart from what it used to be, or it's wholly different than everything else. It's other than everything else. And both of those are important to understanding who God is. He is both set apart, but he's also wholly different. He's unlike us. We are a little like him, but he is very unlike us. He's different. He's other. And it's important 
It's valuable. It's wonderful that he is different than us. If we go to Revelation chapter 4, we're going to catch two themes here, and it's important to understand the themes coming out of these two passages. So Isaiah chapter 6, you've got one seraphim saying to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The indication is that that's not the end of it. It's not like you're at a basketball game. You ever been at those games where, where fans on one side and fans on the other side chant back and forth at each other? Like, we're cooler than you. No, we're cooler than you. And you keep going till somebody quits or something. I'm not really sure why it stops, but it stops at some point. That's the idea of what's going on here, not the cooler part but the part that is, I'm calling out something to you, and then this one over here is responding. To which, this one over here responds again. So when does it stop? When they get tired. Do you know when they get tired? They haven't yet. Revelation chapter 4 makes this clear to us. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say. So, so we're back in the mindset, the imagery of the throne of God, and you've got these angels around God, and they're worshiping him, and they're saying something, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come, who, who was in the beginning, who is currently right now and will be forever. How long do they say this? They say it day and night. For how long? Without ever stopping. So if you ever sing a song that you say repeats itself too much, I'm not saying we need to sing all those songs, but this is two lines repeated for eternity because of the value of God. But the problem with songs, I realize, the problem with songs that we repeat so often is that our brains shut off. Uh, they are still worshiping God wholly and completely through doing this. But they never stop. This angel says to this angel, who says to this angel, who says to this angel, all about the holiness of God. That is the attribute that is repeated and worshiped without ever stopping. Now, that is not to say that, there, that we should then ignore other aspects of who God is, but it does show something about this idea of being set apart, this idea of being different. The holiness of God really becomes for us because we are imperfect. We have imperfect minds, imperfect abilities to be able to understand, so we anthropomorphize. We put human characteristics on a God or on a thing, and God in this case, that has no human characteristics. He's not human. We are, but we impose on our thinking about him these characteristics. Why? Because we're unable to think about it differently. Holiness then becomes the centerpiece that connects all of the other attributes of God. How does his justice interact with his forgiveness or his mercy? His holiness connects the two. How does his love interact with his wrath? Holiness connects the two. So as we try to put ideas to it, his holiness becomes in our ability to connect to the pieces, the centerpiece. It is not more central to God than his love, his mercy, his justice, 
Why? Because in this whole idea of being holy comes the idea of being perfect. And if God is perfect in all of his attributes, he can't be more perfect than another one. That's by definition impossible. Perfect is perfect. It's not mostly perfect or it will be mostly perfect. It's perfect. And that's who God is. Now, what, what is Isaiah's response to this? Okay, we need to see his response, and then, then we need to look at more of what it means for God to be holy. His response to this, this is a guy who was believing in God enough, his faith was great enough that God brought him to a place where he shows him a vision of himself that almost nobody in the entire history of the world gets to see. But when he sees that, his response is, Oh, God, this was so neat. You're so kind and soft and cuddly. Let me give you a hug. That is not his response. His response is one of terror. Why? Because this perfection, this holiness of God is so intense, so powerful that he is coming undone by simply interacting with it because he knows he's broken. He's a man of unclean lips, living, amidst, living in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he says, woe is me. I am lost. I am undone. The very DNA of Isaiah's body feels like it's ripping apart. As he interacts with the holiness of God, this, this being set apart, this being wholly different than us, is tearing him apart. So what do we do with it? It's great to know what God's attribute is. It's fantastic to know what God's attribute and attributes are. What do we do with it? What impact on our lives does it make other than that we can sing a song that says the word holy and maybe have a, a more complete picture of what that means? What does it matter to us? If God is wholly different, we can't be like him. In fact, that's a terribly difficult concept. It's a good concept. It's an incredibly important concept. But it's a difficult concept. We have a tendency to, as we picture this, this perfection of God, we have a tendency to, again, put it in human terms. Why? Because we're limited, and that's the only terms we can put it in. So we put God in terms that we can understand, but really, do we want a God that we can completely understand? We really don't. We don't want just a better version of us that we worship. We want something way beyond us. That's why we watch professional sports. We don't watch professional sports just because they're fun, but because these people are doing something that we couldn't do. We could do like a small pretend version of it, but we can't really do what they're doing. And so we enjoy watching it because they can do what we can't do. They're different than us. We want God to be different than us as we worship him and know him. Charles Spurgeon said this. I love this guy. He's crazy. I, 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 he, he really was wild in a lot of ways. But he says things that, that just make my mind have to reconfigure the way it's thinking about the world. And he says, I would sooner be blind and deaf and dumb 
and lose all feeling, then lose the sense of the beauty and the perfection of God. I would rather lose all of my senses, all of my ability to do all of these things than lose my sense of his beauty and perfection, which is, in, in a sense, his holiness. Do we view God that way? Or do we view God as just like a buddy next to us who's a little bit better than we are? Or do we worship him for his otherness, his total difference than us? Now, beyond that, we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And now God says something, as he's inspiring the Scripture, that, that has to change the way we view this. And verse 15 says, But as the one who called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy just as the one who called us is holy, we understand that, God is holy, so now you and I must be holy in all of our conduct. For just as he is holy, we are called to be holy. It's a demand on us. How do we do that? If holiness is the otherness of God, the, the difference from humanity, how can we all of a sudden take something that we can't be and become it? And we talk about the attributes of God in two different aspects. One is the communicable, and one is the incommunicable. And this isn't a disease thing, but it's something you can catch. Can he pass on certain attributes, or can he not? And there are attributes of God that he passes on. There are attributes of God that he, I don't want to say cannot, nah, he cannot. Why? Can any of us be omnipresent? It's the simplest one. We try really hard. We try to be everywhere at once doing all the things, but we can't. Why? Because no matter how hard I try to be right here, I'm not over there. It's not only that I'm not over here, but I'm not out there. It's not only that I'm not out there, I'm not downtown. I'm not with my family when I'm with somebody else. I'm not with somebody else when I'm with my family, right? I, I can't be omnipresent. It's incommunicable. But I can be loving, he passes that on to us. We can love, not exactly in the same way that he does, but we can emulate his love, right? So we talk about this holiness, the, the aspect of his holiness that is his otherness, we can't be in the same way that he is. And the aspect of his holiness that is set apart to be then other than something else, right? If you set something apart, it is different than everything else. We can be that. How, how do you and I be set apart and different as we emulate the holiness of God? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24 says this. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And again, we preached on this about six months ago, and it's presumed that they do know Jesus, and Paul knows that they were taught who Christ was, right? Assuming that you had heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So what is this being set apart aspect of holiness for us? It's the putting off of our old self and the putting on of the self that looks like Jesus. What does that do to us? It sets us apart from the world. Why? Because that is not how the world functions. How do we know? Because we're told here that our former way of life is everybody's way of life, and that is a way of life that leads to death. And that God made us alive in Jesus so that we could put off our old self and put on our new self and bring him honor and glory. There's more to it than that out of Ephesians, but that's where we end up, or that's one of the places we end up. So we bring him honor and glory through that as we put off our old self and put on our new self, setting ourselves aside or being set aside by him, being made holy. For we will be holy as God is holy. We will be set apart in the same way that he is set apart. That makes us different. We're not wholly different in the same way that he is wholly different, but we're like him. Now comes the hard part. And the hard part is that we're called to be that in every conceivable way. We are called to be set apart and different in our manner of speech. We're called to be set apart and different in our passions, in our desires, in our intents, in our thoughts, in our emotions, in the way we work, in the way we talk about people when they're not around, in the depths of our soul as we engage with things that we don't like. We're called to be different than the rest of the world. So how does the world respond to something? Don't do that. Whatever it is. Do it the way God would have you do it. We can't be perfect. We want to be, we try to be, we strive to be, we fail to be. And he gives us grace in that moment. We see his holiness, and if we, if we really grasp it, we would be undone. But instead of undoing us, he fixes us. And as he fixes us, he grows us and changes us. And that final step of fixing us is when we cross the, cross the threshold of life on earth through death to life with God. And that's his final fixing of our brokenness. And that makes us finally set apart completely, finally sinless completely. Finally, no old self completely. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Set apart, other, incredible, perfect is the Lord Almighty. And now we can be holy as He is holy. We can't be other, but we can be set apart. We can't be perfect but we can set off our old self and put on our new self. And that we rest in his holiness to fix us through our faith in Jesus and only in Jesus, through our life in Jesus and only in Jesus, through our strength in Jesus and only in Jesus. And when we say Jesus, we're referring to Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Who is God? God is holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for allowing us to have life in you. Though, Father, we do not deserve it. 
Give us the grace and the strength. Give us the perspective and the love that we need to mimic you as well as we can. We thank you, Father, for loving us. I thank you for the people who are here, and we pray, Father, as a family, we pray that you would draw us closer to you, that you would grow each of us and all of us as we follow you and love you and know you. It's in the amazing and holy and precious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Would you stand and join us in singing to our holy God?